Hello, data people. Welcome to Data Minds, episode three. In this episode, you're going to meet Ian Blumenfeld, the head of data science at Clover Health. He's, he's a friend and he's also a very interesting guy. Um, Ian grew up in Toronto, Canada. And when he was a boy, well, when he was in high school, he took a vocational career test that was inconclusive. As you can imagine, this kind of freaked his guidance counselor out as he was the only student in the whole school that would not, where this test would not make a prediction. Vocational test aside, Ian would end up growing on to study physics in his undergrad, get his PhD at Stanford, work at Archimedes, which is known as the Xerox Park for healthcare data science. And then he founded a company called InSample in 2012. And then after InSample, he would become the chief data scientist at Clover Health in 2014. And fast forward to 2017, he's still the chief data science at Clover Health, and he's a very wise guy. So I think you're going to learn a lot in this episode. Um, specifically, you're going to learn Ian's lessons learned as a startup founder. You're going to hear his thoughts on data science as a service. You're going to learn more about the importance of domain expertise in data science and how you can build that expertise for, the, for your career. You'll learn more about the tools that are used by Clover Health's data science teams. You're going to learn how Clover Health tackles the challenge of small sample sizes and slow operational feedback loops. You're going to learn about how Ian defines data science and how to hire the elusive data science unicorn. I'm very excited about this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Without any further ado, meet Ian Blumenfeld, the head of data science at Clover Health. Hey, Ian, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Um, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, yeah, so I uh, didn't really have a thing that I like. kind of felt like I was, I was sort of aiming for. Um, I knew, like, I like to build things. I was really into, like, Legos, mm -hmm. uh, and I like to solve problems. Um, and, and really that just meant, you know, like when you're younger, it's kind of like, uh, uh, sort of like puzzles, uh, strategy video games and like, um, uh, um, and then, you know, once I sort of had access to computers, like, uh, uh some uh, computer programming, uh, I really loved math. Um, but like, I didn't really have like a career that I was like, oh, I want to be a doctor or I want to be, a, you know, uh, a lawyer or something like that. Um, when I was in high school, uh, they came in with this test. Uh, it was like a vocational test, uh, where like they were actually like testing to see like where, uh, like where your like interests mapped onto like what, what sort of career might be good for you. Uh, and I was the only person in, um, it was my, uh, my junior year, uh, and I was the only person in my class for whom uh, the test uh, came back completely inconclusive. <laughs> um, this apparently like terrified my guidance counselor, so I got like pulled into a whole bunch of meetings where they were all worried that like I was never going to figure out what I wanted to do because like this test basically gave everything from like lighting technician to sanitation engineer wow. as like possible career options for me. Um, you know, for me, the big lesson learned from that was just like, you know, when a kid is 16 years old, like they don't really need to, to know what they want to do with themselves. Sure. Sure. Um, 
but uh, I guess you could have done anything, right? I, I apparently or nothing. <laughs> so they were they were they were a little bit concerned about like which way that wave was going to break. Mm -hmm. uh, to my parents' credit, they were not worried about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, after high school, what did you end up studying in college? Um, yeah, so so uh, I I grew up in. Uh, uh, in uh, Toronto, and uh, it's it's common there to kind of like uh, go to school, uh, 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 sort of close to home. There's less of a concept of like the college experience, and more mm -hmm. about like colleges. Like uh, you're there to like get further educated. Mm -hmm. um, so I um, I ended up in in a, a, a specialized applied sciences and engineering program uh, at uh, the University of Toronto. Uh, uh, where uh, the first two years was sort of this like general track and kind of exposed you to all kinds of engineering and 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 uh, and sciences and math. Uh, so you know basically things from uh, uh, from like uh, computer science, <coughs> um, uh, circuit development, civil engineering. So like learn how to design bridges, um, and then like you know basically. Uh, uh, physics and math and all that uh, sort of core stuff and then um, and then uh, sort of the last two years was like a little bit more focused uh, so so I ended up on a, on a physics track there uh, and that ended up uh, uh, you know basically uh, put me in a position where I could go do physics in grad school which is what I ended up doing. That's so awesome and I, I remember in Alaska in a previous conversation we had you mentioned Using plasmas to build particle accelerators. Yeah, that's so uh, cool. <laughs> so that was uh, that was my graduate research. Um, so basically, um, I, I I did my grad work uh, here at Stanford, and I was uh, lucky enough to join a group that had access to the particle accelerator there. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I, at Slack, they have a, a, a two and a half mile long particle accelerator. Uh, and we did experiments uh, basically sitting on the end of it, so mm -hmm. they would shoot the particle beam down and, and, and we would uh, pass it through a column of plasma mm. and try to accelerate the particles inside the plasma. Uh, and it ended up being a really, really successful uh, set of experiments where, where, we, where we were able to show uh, that in uh, that in about a meter uh, we could double the energy of of uh, some of the particles going through, uh, which meant that we were producing these like tremendously large energy waves inside of the plasma, um, and you know that was also uh, that was I think one of my my like first exposures to kind of like luck in the world because I met my thesis supervisor. Uh, over uh, over like a, a graduate student mixer hmm. lunch when I first got got to campus and uh, and at that time there had been like sort of no publicity around these experiments it turned out that they were like just on the cusp yeah. of getting these really uh, these like like really 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 awesome results um, and I you know just found the work really interesting and ended up joining that lab that's awesome. You mentioned that um, you kind of had a rare PhD experience. Um, can you elaborate more on that? Like, why was it such a rare and special time? Um, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I, I think graduate school in general is kind of like a special time. Like, sort of the ability 
to focus deep on on like a research problem uh, and understand it from all the various angles uh, and then and then produce something that's totally new to the world mm. uh, it's not common to do that in other parts of your life even like faculty members don't really get to do that mm -hmm. um, as as often as they might like um, but for me especially um, so 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 within within physics uh, the field is now so hyper specialized that basically most people you either got to do theory or you got to do uh, computation so building uh, simulations where you know where the math was just too complex to actually solve for anything uh, or you got to do the like lab bench experimental work mm -hmm. uh, and and then there your your focus was really on like the characteristics of the machine and how well could you measure something that someone else had thought up mm -hmm. um, and the fields that 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 I ended up in which which was this like uh, uh, the, the the set of experiments are uh, uh, um, uh, they're called plasma weight field accelerator experiments. Uh, it cut across uh, a whole bunch of different subfields, uh, and as a consequence of that, um, at least uh, at uh, uh, I, at the time that I was doing my 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 research there, the the, the field was super young, uh, and so the. The theories were not well understood. The simulations, like, kind of worked, but weren't fully fleshed out. And the experiments, obviously, like, there was nothing. Yeah. Um, and so, as as part of my doctoral research, I actually got to touch all three mm. parts, whereas like most people only get to do one. Yeah, that's amazing. So, how did you end up going from a physics PhD to becoming a data scientist? Um, so, uh, that's an interesting story. <laughs> Um, so basically, so uh, uh, for me, part of it was sort of the the foundation of, of my research that like being able to touch all of those three aspects actually like set me up very well for the for like what you the kind of toolkit you have to have to be a well-rounded uh, data scientist. So like in that sense, I was sort of like I was prepared for that for that uh, kind of career. Um, but as I was finishing grad school, I, I, I had known for a while that like academia wasn't really for me mm. um, and that I wanted to sort of do uh, uh, something where, where I could create more tangible value in the world. Um, like I mean, research is great, but it takes a really long time for it to like actually reach the hands of the end user. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that didn't really work so well for me. Um, uh, and so I was trying to figure out, well, like, what do I actually want to do as I was, um, as I was uh, kind of wrapping up my, my, my graduate research. Um, at the same time, uh, so my, uh, uh, my, my thesis supervisor, who was just an amazing, amazing person, uh, fell, fell ill uh, and unfortunately passed away uh, and so while I'm trying to figure out like what I'm like what I'm gonna do all of a sudden like there's this extra kind of like crimp in the plans in terms of like 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 losing him was a I mean it was a major loss for the research community and also for all of us uh, who were working with him at the time um, the the school and the lab were like amazingly supportive yeah. 
and like really like very quickly stood up a support a support system for all of us, um, and uh, um, and 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 I ended up with uh, uh, I, and I ended up with uh, uh, they 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 kind of connected me uh, with the second person. Uh, who uh, who was my advisor uh, until the end, uh, and 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 he was also phenomenal. Um, but ultimately, he was the one to whom I like ended up having these conversations with. So he was like, "Well, what do you want to do? And, you know, what postdocs look interesting to you?" And I was like, "Well, I'll be honest, like not a lot of them." <laughs> um, uh, you know, and I was thinking, I told him, "Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll go do software engineering." Um, this was in the uh, basically like spring of 2009, okay. roughly speaking. Um, and he was like, well, I don't think you're going to like software engineering. And I said, why not? And he said, well, it's not going to give you that like problem solving aspects that you really want. Um, uh, and I said, okay, well, what should I do instead then? Mm -hmm. um, at that time, like data science did not have a name. Yeah. Um, but he was like, well, I know this woman, she works for this company, they do kind of this like mix of software and data and like predictive modeling type thing, like, you know, maybe you should talk to her. Um, and I said, okay, that, that would be great. <laughs> uh, so I like took a look at the company yeah. uh, and, uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then ended up talking to this woman who, who uh, who had been a staff scientist under him uh, and ended up working at that company for th uh, three and a half years. And what's the name of that company? Uh, so that was, uh, uh, so that company uh, was uh, called Archimedes. Okay. Um, we were a spin-out of Kaiser, uh, basically uh, trying to build uh, a full-scale functioning model of the U.S. healthcare system. Wow. Uh, so it was a, yeah, it was a, uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, um, it was a, I'm like at a bit of a loss for words. <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, the, the founders were like tremendously optimistic people yeah. um, and also had 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 access to like all to like a whole bunch of data from 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 Kaiser and 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 had this vision that like basically like uh, healthcare had been like molded and guided by these like hodgepodge sets of like randomized controlled trials, each of which gave you one piece of information in isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, but there hadn't been a great job of like bringing it all together to basically say like oh like this type of you know this type of disease presenting in this way is best treated in this way and then here's how you sort of follow it through I see. Um, also taking into account all of the various like operational interactions that a person with that disease is likely to have with 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 the healthcare system hmm. um, so it was it was it was a grand vision uh, um, in that in that sense got it so so that's kind of how you made the transition into data science and yeah. into the, was that your first foray into the health space? That was my first foray into <laughs> the, into the health space. So it was like yet another lesson in like the role of luck in the world. Um, it's crazy. You're, you might've been somewhere else if your first 
advisor hadn't passed away. Yeah. And I hate to say, you know, he's an amazing guy and I'm sorry for your <laughs> loss. I know you had a good close relationship with him, yeah. but it's so, it is like a roll of the dice. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, it, it's uh, like, I, I, I sort of have uh, like my experiences have, have like brought me a little bit to this philosophy that like a lot of what happens in the world is a roll of the dice. Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's a, obviously there's a lot of factors that like you can't really control, and then there there there's your own path dependence. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like the things that you've done impact the things that you might do in the future, uh, and so you know the thing you end up working on or or, uh, or uh, is uh, you know is basically you want to figure out how to weight the dice in your favor. Yeah. You mentioned that being at Archimedes in 2009 was kind of like the Xerox days, yeah. this hidden gem. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah, so that was, I mean, that, like, working there was just an amazing experience. Like, it, it the, the team was incredibly strong. Again, like, we were really, like, working towards this grand vision of a mm -hmm. thing that could be done yeah. that, like didn't exist in the world um, and uh, uh, it was uh, the 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 backgrounds of all of all of the folks were like incredibly diverse um, you know we were uh, um, so so in 2009 we were one of the only places at that time who were like hiring for folks from hard sciences backgrounds um, so it was kind of before people figured out that that was a thing. Hmm. Uh, which meant that like we got a lot of good people in the door. Uh, the team was fifty percent female, which you know also for that for that time period was very very unusual, um, even 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 for now. Um, and it was just like it was uh, it was a group of people who were like incredibly smart, incredibly motivated, and also just like knew so many things that that like I didn't know. Uh, and so being able to walk in and learn something from everybody was, uh, you know, again, it's, it's a thing that's, that's kind of unusual. Yeah. Um, how did you make your way to the West coast? I'm trying to just take a step back I, in the timeline. I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah. So yeah. that was grad school brought me out here. Oh, grad school yeah. brought you here. Okay. Yeah. And then the economic crash kept me here. <laughs> and so, you're and you're from uh, Canada? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, from uh, 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 from uh, Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Another roll of the dice. Yep. The economic crash kept you in the Bay Area. <laughs> yep. And that's history. That's that's funny. Yeah. I mean. Basically, spring of 2009 was not a time to be looking for a job. Um, but, you know, having, having been out at Stanford, like, my network was actually all, 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 all out here. Yeah. Um, and so that, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, <clears throat> that's, I mean, obviously that's what ended up hooking me up with the Archimedes job, and, and I've stayed ever since. So. That's great. Yeah. What did you do after Archimedes? Um, so, so I left Archimedes in 2012 uh, to try to start my own company. Uh, it was uh, called Insample, uh, and basically we were looking to bring some of the like the like analytical tools and approaches that we were using when we were at Archimedes like more directly to the customer base. Um, so, so in uh, in practicality, the way that that our products at Archimedes ended up being used is is we would sell consulting services 
to pharmaceutical companies and to health plans. Um, and like, unfortunately, in the end, like there just was not a product market fit for that, despite the grandness of the vision. Like, uh, the company generated revenue but couldn't really scale. Um, and so, and so, a few of us had this idea that, like, okay, well, maybe if we just sold the tooling to the customer, like there could be a market for that. This is more like data science as a service? Yeah. So it was, it, it turned out to be more of like uh, a data science as a service product. Okay. Um, uh, worked on that for about a year and a half, learned a lot, uh, and like, you know, but but like ultimately found it was, it was the same situation. There was just not product market fit for something like that. What else did you learn from your startup? Um, well, so, you know, one thing is like definitely like, uh, in a, in a startup, like you have to be product first. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can have all sorts of ideas about like what, you know, what might work, what are interesting things, uh, uh, to follow. Um, but at the end of the day, like you have limited time to get to a thing that other people are willing to pay you money for. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so like you have to be laser focused on like building out that that product if you you know if you see that your you know that your customer set is not responding to a thing that you're working with mm -hmm. like you shut it down mm -hmm. uh, if you know if you if you start to see like sort of like you know patterns within within the customer interviews or, or the customer interactions with respect to what they're asking for like you know, you, you have an obligation to go explore those, like, even if they're, you know, like, even if they're not of interest to you, uh, because at the end of the day, like, like, like the product generates the business and the business wins. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I, among the other things we learned was, was basically that, um, uh, I mean, sometimes the hardest problems are one-off problems, and that means like they can be tremendously interesting to work on, but they will never generate a consistent revenue stream. Uh, because it's a rare use case, yeah. or not everybody encounters that. Uh, yeah, and it's just like this person needs this thing this one time. They might even be willing to pay a lot of money for it, mm. but you can't resell it to anybody else. Right. And so, so at the end of the day, if like those are the problems you want to work on, like that's a consulting business. It's not. It's not a startup. Like you will not be able to build yeah. uh, like a, a self-sustaining sort of business uh, on top of that. Um, and then, you know, I think like the real takeaway for me, which, which was the thing that, that, that like ultimately ended up driving me uh, towards, uh, like kind of opened me up to, uh, to what Clover was, was really offering, um, is, is that I, I fell out of love with the concept of like data science as a service. Yeah. Um, that uh, basically, like maybe for very very simple problems, it, it can do something. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but data science is actually like best served as part of the operational feedback loop, which means that like it needs to be embedded in like within the business uh, and like working with the data as it comes through and driving those like iterative cycles. To like get to, you know, to basically get 
get to the value driving uh, solution. Um, so, you know, basically, uh, when the data scientist is there, like dealing with the data that's coming through the A-B tests every day, uh, you, you have a tendency to get much better solutions yeah. uh, than when like all of that is just kind of like outsourced to some software platform uh, and how it's being analyzed, like there, there's no domain expertise being, being brought into, being brought into play. Right. Yeah, I think... It's a, it's a hard nut to crack, the whole data science as, as a service, and there's a lot of founders working on it. So I think your prediction might make a few of those founders sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a very hard problem, and I think a lot of, yeah. How, how much do you value domain expertise in data science? Um, so, I mean, I think, like, so, um, it, I, I mean, I, I can sort of speak to how we like how we've approached it at, at, at Clover because I think like there are a number of different ways like um, there is uh, there's no denying the fact that a data scientist who is a domain expert is much more effective period yeah. um, and that's basically because like uh, that that person has a set of intuitions that someone who has who's completely unfamiliar with the domain is is not gonna have um, at the same time, like domain expertise can be built by working within that domain. Sure. Uh, and so in that sense, it's not a skill. Uh, it is a thing that like takes time. Um, but, uh, but like, but, uh, you can't, uh, it, but you know, once you're sort of in, in a space, like it's, is very hard to be effective in that space without without having having that uh, that uh, domain with you. Yeah. Uh, so we don't hire for it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, although, like, we love it when people come in uh, with with the domain knowledge, um, but but we do expect that all of our data scientists are going to build it up. Uh, so how do you go about um, helping them build it up, or kind of putting them through? Um, yeah, so we, we've got a set of structured onboarding. Nice. Uh, we have uh, some books and articles that we send to people uh, as part of their onboarding package. Um, and then we also make sure that like over their first six months, they touch projects mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, that sort of span the service area of our, of our business. Got it. Yeah. I was chatting with a good friend of mine who is currently at Salesforce, mm -hmm. and um, he was an alumnus from um, the Data Science Immersive Program at Galvanize, and talked about you know if you're like working as a data scientist at Uber or Lyft, like you need to be taking rides and you yep. need to be maybe even driving around every once in a while and seeing the experience. And yep. you know he's on sales calls at Salesforce, and he also um, you know talks to so many different stakeholders, and it's almost part of their culture. It's very cool to hear that. Um, a similar thing is going on at Clover Health. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we design a lot of our projects to be cross-functional. So yeah. there will be like the data scientist and the software engineer, and then the product person, and the, and the set of ops people who are like actually going to use the thing that's going to be shipped. Right. Um, it's uh, um, and and like ultimately, it's it's incumbent on all of those people to build the context that they need to ship a good product. Yeah. How did you um, end up at Clover Health? 
Um, so basically it was, uh, uh, so I, around the time that I was uh, shutting down Ensample, uh, I was kind of looking around for, for what I was going to do next, and some friends were making introductions for me, um, and, um, uh, and one of those intros happened to be to the founders at Clover who were like just getting started at that time. Mm. Um, and, uh, and essentially because of where I was coming from, uh, like they, uh, you know, like they were basically going to be standing up a health plan from scratch, mm. which meant that like all of the operational feedback loops, like we were going to have full control over. Uh, and so as, you know, as a data scientist, that's like, you know, that's like manna from heaven, essentially. <laughs> like, it's like exactly the thing that you want to hear about, but it's like, oh, so we're not going to try to just like shoehorn this in to some weird enterprise structure that already exists. Like, we're going to build this full stack. Um, uh, and, uh, and like... Uh, you know, essentially, like we're going to mold the software to the needs of the, you know, of the company. Um, but that that sold me. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, what are some of the tools that you and your team use? Um, so we are uh, we're uh, we're an open source shop. Um, so it's uh, it's all <clears throat> um, you know, basically our. Uh, um, uh, the the team primarily works in, in SQL and in Python. Um, uh, our our databases uh, today are uh, mostly Postgres, um, and then everything uh, uh, sits on uh, 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 sits on uh, AWS. Uh, we also have for our for our application deployment. There's sort of a, I mean, we have we're highly regulated. Um, and so, uh, uh, so uh, 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 we have a service that we use uh, for uh, HIPAA compliance uh, called Aptable, uh, which has been great for us. Um, and then uh, our, uh, for, uh, for our reporting layer, uh, we use mode, mode analytics. Um, and uh, we chose that basically because uh, uh, SQL is a first class language in mode. Yeah, uh, and so if you're going to be writing a lot of reports, mm -hmm. like you want something where that's that's sort of the language of of like interaction with your with your data. Right, uh, it's been a great product for us. That's awesome. Um, what are some of the things that differentiate your data science team at Clover? Um, so. I think there's a there's the question of of, of like. Uh, of like what differentiates our like data scientists mm -hmm. and then what differentiates our our data science team. I see. I see. Um, so so our data science team, I think like uh, uh, we've got a couple things really sort of going for us. Uh, sort of number one, uh, we have uh, there's a wide diversity of background, mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, you know people come in with with like all. Uh, uh, a high variance in their technical skill, but they all bring something sort of special to the table. Uh, so we have, you know, basically we have we have people who are physicists, who are computer scientists, uh, who who uh, uh, who are operations uh, researchers, economists, 
Uh, so like really wide, wide, wide background uh, 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 in terms of what people bring bring to the table, um, and the kind of common thread that weaves them all together uh, is they are all. Uh, like A++ problem solvers. Uh, and so they know how to deal with ambiguous situations, uh, sort of like uh, uh, ill-structured, Ill ill-posed problems, bring structure to them, uh, and then, um, um, and then like dig out the thing that's actually valuable for the business. Mm -hmm. But then you could ask the question of like, okay, well, what does it take to actually have all those people work together? Yeah. Uh, and like actually have a data system that 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 they can work inside, um, and that's a place where like we've put we've put a lot of effort into, and, and we to be frank we have a long way to go, but we put a lot of effort into the tools and the approaches that they've used. Mm. Um, so you know essentially uh, a lot of effort in, into the design of our of our uh, um, um, of our of our pipelines. Uh, and the way that data sort of gets represented in our in our in our uh, databases, um, I, 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 as well as like making it as easy as possible to build different representations of that of that data within SQL or Python or your language of choice, yeah. um, we build up we built up a a uh, a large kind of like automated test suite that fits into our testing strategy. Um, Unlike uh, it, so, there there are some places where the reporting layer is is really like it, it serves ad hoc needs, and someone will look at it once. It's like, oh well, should I be going after this type of customer or not? And then they'll never look at it again. Uh, our situation is not like that. Like every report that goes out is effectively a data product. People refer back to it every single day, mm -hmm. uh, and so that actually requires that our team work. Uh, a little bit more like software engineers and a little bit less like data analysts, uh, and so we've you know that's a thing that 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 we've sort of grown them to be able to do, um, and you know and and then as well like because not everyone is going to come in with that skill set uh, we've 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 put a lot of effort into like training and upskilling folks uh, and making sure that they stretch their their skill sets at every opportunity. Yeah, how do you approach the training internally, and like, um, how do you design that type of training for for ups for reskilling or up or upskilling your current data scientists? Yeah, so I and this is an evolving work in progress. It's basically. always a tough problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we've I essentially uh, it, it's it's kind of progressed in layers. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I mean, step, step one is really to have like a coherent platform inside which everyone is going to work. Mm. Uh, if you don't have that, like you can train up the wazoo, it's, it's, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason for that is basically that like there need to be design patterns that people can work off of so that they can be productive while they're learning. Yeah. Uh, and that like instills basically good practices in them. Uh, before, um, uh, you know, basically before they really understand why they need to do X, Y, Z. 
so like, you know, for, uh, for example, like we had unit testing as a requirement or, and I mean, we still have it as a requirement, but like we had it as a requirement for, uh, for new tables going into our, going into our data warehouse, uh, before much of our team, like really understood what the value of unit testing was. Um, when we came close to a critical failure, everybody got it immediately. And they were like, oh, the test would have, like, had we tested this area, it would have caught that. Um, but at the same time, like, they were still writing unit tests beforehand. So, like, having that structure in place where, where you can basically say, like, this is how this platform works, here's how you use it, mm -hmm. um, like, that, that helps give a framework with which you can do the training. Uh, and then uh, uh, our approach has kind of been twofold thus far. Uh, one is like we have sort of a set of documents and pedagogy that people go through as part of their onboarding process. Mm -hmm. um, and so like that kind of brings them up to a base level uh, before they kind of get thrown into, into project work. Uh, the second thing is that like once they move into project work, nobody works alone. Um, and so, so, uh, so like projects are, are again, they're staffed by cross-functional teams. So you'll, at the very least, you'll be with an engineer uh, who can tell you like, eh, don't do that because it's going to have these, these implications later. Um, and then uh, we also, like we don't hold people back from being productive because they don't know something. Uh, but we use, uh, uh, we basically use the, uh, uh, the the branch uh, pull request workflow within Git mm -hmm. to be able to like get eyes on uh, you know basically get get eyes on code so that people can can kind of give some some uh, some constructive feedback uh, about like oh well you know you should think about this design versus that one because then when we want to put these two things together it's going to be harder or easier yeah. Previously, you mentioned that the Clover team is working in areas where sample sizes are not that big and where the operational feedback loops are not that fast. So sometimes getting your data can take weeks. How do you tackle that problem? That's tough. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it, this is one of those things that I think like makes us very different than, um, uh, than, than at, at least most of the other data science jobs out there. Um, that uh, basically, uh, whenever we want to know, like, okay, we we want to do this thing, like, uh, and I I say that cavalierly, but we don't actually, like, we're not cavalier about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, um, you know, everything we do has the potential to seriously impact someone's life, both in a positive uh, and, God forbid, a negative way. Um, and so we put a lot of checks and balances in place to make sure that uh, uh, that 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 we are that we're doing right by our uh, like by our by our membership. Like in in in, in a lot of I, I, we have high impact on their on their lives. Yeah. Uh, and but essentially what that means as well is that. Whenever we're going to try something, you know, it's a thing our, our clinical staff thinks will be valuable. We need to know quickly if it's working or if it's not working. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, I, I, and so, we end up dealing with a lot of cases where 
uh, where where like our uh, our sample sizes won't be that large. And then on top of that, we're rolling things out into the real world. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like click and half your users see a different web page. Like there's an operational rollout to a medication adherence program. Um, and so like that has, that has complexities associated with it. Uh, and then you have to actually like let it run to build up the data. Uh, and so uh, basically what that's meant is that on the one side, our data scientists have had to get very, very close to the operational teams. Uh, and it's because like, if you don't know what they're dealing with on the ground, you can make lots of statements about, well, we should just do this. We should just do it that way. We should just try it this way. Like not realizing that each one of those changes like needs an operational protocol associated with it and could literally like, you know, they're, they're, and one of those operational protocols might take you know, 30 seconds for someone to get through on, on the phone. The other one might take 45 seconds with, you know, with 15 minutes of prep time beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so, and so like, you basically have to understand exactly how the, the, the thing you would like to test is going to get deployed out into the real world. Mm -hmm. And then the and, and then on the back side, you also have to be very, very smart about how you analyze the results. Uh, because, you know, essentially you're not going to just get to wait another six months. <laughs> um, there's lots of other things that we have to test. And, and also in the end, if it's, the thing is not effective, we really want to shut it down. Yeah. Uh, pretty much immediately because it's just a waste of resources um, and so so we put a lot of thought into how how we analyze the the uh, the data and the and the statistical methodologies that you actually use to get that right um, you know if you get it wrong you don't you don't get to say well we'll just spin up that a B test again and hope we get enough numbers this time yeah yep that's very interesting thank you um, in a previous, um, actually online, I saw that you wrote this great blog post, The Why of Data Science. Um, for the audience listening in, it's on Medium. You can read the article, The Why of Data Science by Ian Blumenfeld. Um, in that article, you kind of talk about w what data science is and how you think about data science. Everybody defines data science differently, and it's kind of different at each company. So. Um, how do you think about data science and how do you think about it at what it is at Clover Health? Yeah. Um, so uh, the kind of genesis of that and, and it's packaged uh, together actually with, uh, with, with uh, Hiring Unicorns, which, which is the, the article that I wrote about, about how you actually hire for this person. Uh, that's the sister blog post. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the sister post. Yeah. Um, uh, but where that where that came where that kind of came about was that I I wanted to write something about hiring data scientists, uh, and then realize that all of the things that people had put out into the world were really looking at 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 like what is a data scientist from the skills that they needed to have. Mm -hmm. It was like oh they they need to be an amazing statistician and they need to be able to program and they have to be a domain expert and like they need to like know all of this stuff and. Uh, and that didn't say anything about, well, like, what is the value of this person? Yeah. Like, what are they generating for a business that couldn't be generated without them? 
that hadn't that wasn't possible in the past such that this like new field is really a thing um and for me like what it what it really you know kind of what it really came came down to was that uh so like data analysis has been around for a long time it's a phenomenal field uh you know predictive modeling has been around for a long time people have driven a lot of value within 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 organizations with it but uh you were really only able to impact like high level decision making uh, and that's because like the amount of effort you had to put in to like analyzing a problem was really significant um and so you know so essentially like the the value that it uh that it that it uh, that it provided was basically limited to like executive level decisions and the way you can kind of think about that is essentially like you know basically like if you're running a brick and mortar bookstore like you will only really be able to answer the question of like of like should we be carrying more like you know more like true crime or more mystery novels mm. uh and that's the thing that the general manager or you know or the executives might might sort of you know might sort of dictate looking at the data they have on like sales and traffic and all those and 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 all those sorts of things um but in you know but basically in today's world uh, all of a sudden you have a scalable distribution channel to get all the way down to the end user yeah um and uh, um, uh and and so that means that assuming that you've got a framework that's actually like capable of giving you like kind of uh personalized uh data analysis like you now have a way of delivering that to the person who 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 can use it at that moment in time um and so you know that was kind of where where i came to this notion that like data science is really about uh, it, it's really about a decision support at scale uh so like data analysis supports high level decisions mm -hmm. data science can get you to a place where you can support the low level decisions um and it has different requirements around it because of that uh because you're not going to be able to do you know someone is going and serving amazon there's no analyst sitting in the background that's that's like running a query to figure out like what other books they might like right. there's just an algorithm yep. but with the algorithm plus the web you so the algorithm gives you the personalized data analysis the web gives you the the uh, uh the uh, distribution channel all of a sudden you have something that was like fundamentally impossible uh you know 15 years earlier and is you know and is now like i mean it's you know it's magic but we don't really think about it anymore right decision support at scale yeah that's awesome so in your sister blog post hiring data science unicorns um <laughs> how do you think about hiring at clover health and you know, what are you looking for in in a data scientist? Yeah. So 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 kind of like attached to that, it's like, well, if you want to do this thing, like, how do you how do you find people? Yeah. Where like you can. Right. Uh, and like, what what types of skill sets do they need? And uh, uh, and uh, uh, and like, how do you how do you test for those? So that was a thing that we thought very very deeply about when we were spinning up 
the the uh, data science team at uh, I, 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 at, at Clover. Um, the the caveat on this is that like it varies company to company. Like every company is going to be different with respect to what they need uh, in terms of like uh, to to basically like drive drive that value. Yeah. Um, for us, what it what it really came down to was uh, you know because the hardest things that we typically have to do are 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 like again dealing with these really ill-posed, ambiguous situations and bringing structure to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is both at the high level and at, and at the low level. So at the high level, it's really like, like this, um, you know, uh, our, our, our hospital costs in this area are out of control, like what's going on. And then at the low level, it's, it's really like, I'm, I'm talking to this person on the phone right now like their medical history is enormous like what is relevant to me yeah. um uh or like what is relevant such that i can like best help them with the problem that they're having and help them avoid future problems um so you know if you think about the skill set that that requires like it, it, we need less of the like 10x you got to be able to like process terabytes of data in seconds mm -hmm sort of approach and like a lot more of like the like problem solving probabilistic thinking type of approach um and so you know basically the uh uh so we we kind of like map that in to the to the like a skill set rubric that we sort of look for within within our like interview process and what that really comes down to is um so uh, so there, there's the math portion. Uh, we need people to be mathematical thinkers, but it's not but it's not necessarily from the perspective of, of like knowing advanced statistical methodologies. Uh, it really comes down to like how you think through, uh, uh, essentially like how you think through problems where conditional probability is going to play a significant role. Yep. Uh, where like you have to worry about correlations across various populations uh, and how events can only happen under like certain contexts. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about, uh, about what a recommendation engine is, like a recommendation engine is a conditional probability machine. Like you're looking at a user and saying like, okay, well, what is the, you know, uh, you know, if we're looking at the context of like Amazon, like, like which which book are they most probable to buy and that's that's your number one mm -hmm. right and the more data you have on that person the more conditionals end up in that in that statement um, and so so that's actually the thing that 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 we check when we're when we're looking on uh, uh, um, um, when we're when we're uh, basically diving into the math part of part of the interview um, and and uh, you know we've got a set of closed form questions uh, that we use for that um, I know that there's some controversy in in the community uh, about like questions around dice rolls or coin flips uh, we actually think those are really really important uh, because again like it, there are ways of building like easy to understand, easy to calculate conditional probability problems where you can get a sense for how somebody thinks about these things. Yeah. Um, uh, 
So, uh, you know, then, then when, when we look at, at kind of uh, computation, um, we're not, uh, we don't really focus on like software engineering level uh, sort of computation skills. Uh, for computation, it's, it's really about like appropriate level of, uh, of, of thinking with respect to how the computation is going to get run. Um, you know, basically like, and, and really what that involves is like thinking through, well, like, what's the size of the data that I'm going to be dealing with um, and, and how big will it ever be and when do I think it might get large enough that I should really think about certain things. Um, and then, um, and so like, basically just like awareness of, of like how well a given algorithm or computation is going to perform. Um, and like a uh, sort of like uh, a way to reason about that awareness of like how much memory something is is going to eat uh, you know and again these are these are all sort of focused around just like don't bring down the production pipelines yeah. um, uh, um, and then uh, and then things like system design with respect to like hey like I'm, you're doing a thing right now uh, that thing might be useful to somebody else later mm -hmm. Like, are you making sure that it slots in to the system that everyone else is interacting with such that that other person can actually use it? Got it. So, like, you know, basically clean... Not throwaway code. Yeah. So, like, clean code, complete data models, uh, and, like, you know, where, like, you just understand how to think about a piece of code or some data that the entire team can use and sometimes that means when you're doing work to take that extra half a step yeah. uh, make it useful to somebody else yeah. um, and then like the the third thing that, that we really look for and this is a thing that's very important to me uh, is basically uh, that that a person has a, a depth of expertise somewhere mm -hmm. uh, so again we our, our data scientists, when they come work with us, they, they will become domain experts. Like, we will push them into that. We're not so worried about it. Obviously, we want that hunger yeah. um, that they want to go learn. But, like, for expertise, the thing that, that, that I sort of look for is, like, what does this person know where, like, where, like I can say, like, they planted their flag right there. Mm. Like, they know this area better than anybody else. And if I ask them about it, they can teach me something. Mm. Um, and 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 you know, to me, like that's particularly important because, uh, at least in today's world, where where like there's noise coming at you from a hundred different directions, really easy to build like kind of a broad surface level understanding of things, but never get deep enough to like really know all the nuance. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that in one place then like I can have confidence that you'll be able to do it in other places when it's uh, when it's needed right. um, yeah and then like you know on the softer side uh, you know obviously like people who can communicate well mm -hmm. uh, like they're I think we were talking about this before like right. there are no technology jobs left where you just get to put your headphones on and put your head down and code like the value is in working with other people mm -hmm. like you need to know how to work and talk and communicate with other people uh, and so like we definitely like look for people who are who are good at that they don't necessarily need to be like uh, you know uh, like argumentative uh, or highly opinionated but just like just to 
to actually be able to work with another human being. Sure. Very important. Yeah. Um, I think you were talking in another conversation about professional poker players applying and very smart cookies, but poker being a solitary game, yeah. sometimes you're you know, very focused on yourself and the game you're playing. And they're great at reading people, though. I know <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've... Uh, um, uh, we, we've talked to a few former uh, professional gamblers, like super, super bright. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I think we've we've come close to to hiring a couple of them, um, but you know, in the end, like the and and this was when we were at a much earlier stage. I would love to be able to take these kinds of risks eventually, but in the end, it was like a lot of what kind of came. A lot of what it came down to for us is like this person has basically been in you know they're, they they they've been working in a very solitary way for the last X years. Yeah. Like how are they gonna you know basically how are they gonna make the transition to like needing to work with other people? Yeah. You know like what's gonna happen when they have a strategy that they know is correct that we know is correct but that other people don't know is correct and disagree with. Like, will they be able to like work in that world where, where like a, a, uh, an answer that's obvious to them is not obvious to another person and you may even have to do the suboptimal thing for a while uh, to, you know, basically just, just to kind of get things moving. Right. Um, yeah. And then like the sort of the last thing that, that that I think has like served us really well is looking for people with high pain tolerance. <laughs> so you know where they're just willing to just dig through the muck yeah. to like get to something that's valuable for an operations team, for a sales team, for a product team, uh, and just do whatever is you know basically to like do whatever needs to be done regardless of sort of the situation. You call that pain tolerance. Pain tolerance. Got yeah. it. Okay. Some yeah. some might call that hustle. Others might call it um, not being schlep averse. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know Paul Graham likes to talk about schlep. Yeah. Now that's important, but the pain tolerance for doing what needs to be done Yeah. in, in that situation. Can you give me an example? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, let me think of what kind of the best examples of this uh, of this have uh, uh, have have been for us um, you know basically uh, in the in in the early days for instance like we had no automated systems yeah. uh, we just had a bunch of like queries that needed to be run uh, to uh, to generate our data warehouse that people relied on every day uh, and so, you know, we had a person who would, you know, every, every evening <laughs> would sit down and run those queries by hand and, and, and babysit it until, until it got all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, more, uh, more recently, like we, um, uh, uh, we, so we were uh we we now have an infrastructure around this but like we have needs to be able to run campaigns because mm -hmm. things happen at certain times of the year yeah. you know uh sort of a canonical example of it is like you want to do your flu shot reminders in october november because that's when people need to be going to get their flu shots if you do it in june it's not useful to, to anybody um and you know basically 
until we had that campaign infrastructure in place, mm -hmm. uh, one of our data scientists was basically like, uh, uh, was like hand generating the lists of people wow. that, that like needed to be contacted every day for, yeah. you know, for weeks on end for some of these early campaigns. Um, so it, it's like that, those, those sorts of things of just like doing the painful thing because it's, because it's valuable. Uh, obviously you want to work towards like, uh, automated something, you know, is going to be used often, right. but, but like pain, pain tolerance is a very valuable thing for, for, for a startup. You oftentimes just don't have the infrastructure to do it any other way. Yeah. Um, how many people are on the data science team right now? And I know you say startup, but um, Clover Health's grown very fast yeah. in the last what year? Yeah, even. yeah. So Clover, as as a whole, is now about four hundred people. Wow. We're, we're not a we're not a small startup anymore. I I would say we are still a startup from the perspective of like the business model is still evolving. Mm -hmm. uh, it it will get there though. Um, uh, but but it's still early days for us. I mean, we're a very young health plan. Yeah. Uh, our data science team today is a little over twenty. Mm. Uh, so I mean, as far as the valley goes, like we're actually a fairly sizable team. Yeah. Uh, and you know, part of that is just like our our business is a very he data heavy business, mm -hmm. and so like we need a lot of people to carry that load. Yeah. Um, how many more data scientists are you hiring in the next, you know, calendar year or the next six months, let's say? Um, I don't know what the number is for next year. We've, we've got at least four or five open slots right now. Great. Um, and, uh, you know, and basically as we grow, like we mm -hmm. will hire more. Yeah. That's uh, exciting. We're like at 22, at 20. 22 whatever the number is now we are significantly under resourced with respect to what the company needs yeah um, well thank you so much Ian um, now I'm gonna jump into something that's very similar to what Tim Ferriss does which is the rapid-fire question hour, yeah. <laughs> where we get to know a little bit more about you um, and some of your opinions and some of the things that you like and dislike and so I'm just gonna jump right into it um, do you listen to any podcasts? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not really a podcast guy. Not a podcast guy. No. Okay. Um, I, I listen to the Freakonomics podcast on occasion, uh, but I'm much more of a reader okay. uh, than a podcast person. What do you read? Um, so I, I like technical blog posts uh, are like among my most favorite things. <laughs> um, uh, I've... Uh, uh, and then, like you know, f uh, sort of a few of the newsletters in the um, uh, uh, in kind of the venture uh, in like the venture space, and always interested in what those folks have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, ben Ben Evans is one of my favorites right now. Yeah, Ben Evans. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, well, uh, what book do you give as a gift most often? <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm definitely not a not a not a book gift giver okay I um, I do I do like to read books uh, but uh, when people ask me for stuff um, or, or like when they contact me it's it's usually in the context of like hey I want to know more about this thing yeah um, or like I'm I'm trying to like 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to break into this field, like, like, what do I need to know? And at least the thing, the thing that I found is like the books get out of date really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I actually just keep a set of articles around uh, that I update periodically uh, and send over to people. Uh, when they're like, I want to know about this. I'm like, great, I've got an article for you. That's great. Uh, so <laughs> I, I send them blog posts, basically. Cool. The gift yeah. of knowledgeable blog posts. Yeah. I love that. Um, what are your blog posts, resources, or topic buckets, usually? Um, sort of like what I, what I kind of go to right now. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, uh, like uh, technical methodologies is, is 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 like a big one for me, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the the stuff I usually focus on is really like if um, I, I, someone's going to go in depth uh, about a method from from first principles, okay. uh, especially if they're going to work a toy problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm less interested in the ones that are like, oh, we took this giant image corpus and did. And you know, ran a TensorFlow thing on it, and here is a magic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm much more interested in, in in the ones that kind of like sort of poke at those pro at, at like those problems and those methodologies and those structures from like a hey, like you know, here this is not a real data set, but if we run this, this it like starts to give us a sense of what this algorithm is actually doing. Uh, and like how it how it how it behaves. This this goes back to my like physics days yeah. of like I, I love back of the envelope problems, um, and so like that's that's kind of that's one primary focus, um, and then and the and then the other is is just uh, like blog posts around business models, mm -hmm. basically like how you generate revenue in different contexts. I, I find those fascinating too. Very cool. Uh, as a former founder, that was the thing I screwed up on, <laughs> um, and so like you know it's the thing I'm always interested in knowing more about. Product market fit and then monetization. They're not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, when you hear the word successful. Who do you think of and why? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> um, who do I think of? Um, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I think like when, uh, when it, uh, Obviously, like, okay, so you think of some of the, like, Silicon Valley luminaries. Larry Page has been very successful. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I don't know. When I, when I hear successful, I, I really think of, like, my friends and family who have, like, gotten, you know, who are driving towards and have gotten the things that they've wanted out of life. Mm. Um, you know, so, like, uh, you know, I think of, like, uh, uh, like, like my brothers, my brother-in-law, um, like they're they're very successful because like they've got jobs that they love. Uh, they have uh, like like they they've grown their families in exactly the way that they've you know that like they've kind of envisioned. Um, you know, uh, I think like my parents pop pop into my mind of, yeah. of like just like people who found the thing that they wanted to do and and like executed on that right um and basically like have uh you know have like have like lived a life that's very true 
to like who they are, what their value system is, and like the things that they wanted. Uh, you know, and, and they're they're getting to like reap the benefits of that now with like grandkids and uh, you know and children who are who are happy. That's 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 kind of like when when I think of success, that's that's sort of what I, what I think of. It's like those people who have like found found satisfaction mm-hmm. in 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 the life that they generated for themselves. Who would you like to emulate and why? Um, that's an interesting one. So I, I'm going to answer a slightly different question. Okay. Um, this, is a, this is a trick I learned when I was an undergrad. <laughs> like when someone, you know, when someone would ask you a question like on a, on a quiz and you didn't know what the answer was, just like write down a different question and answer that one. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it's, it's also a thing you commonly use in physics yeah. um, of like 90, 99% of the time the problem you want to solve is too hard. Right. So you find the analogous problem yeah. that you can solve and, and, and solve that. So, so, so the question that I think I'm, I, I, I would like to answer, I, I don't think of myself as a person that emulates anybody. Okay. Like I will find my own path in the world. I, I love to learn from other people, yep. but I'm not looking to be like them. Not to copy. Yeah. And like their pathway is their pathway. They've had their own set of experiences. Uh, to me, like uh, uh, the spirit of a, of a question like that is, is, is really about like what kind of person mm-hmm. like like am I aiming to be uh, and to me like uh, sort of the the type of person that I would love to be when, when all is said and done um, is uh, uh, someone like John Bell mm. uh, so John Bell was a physicist uh, he, he died quite young uh, unfortunately um, but uh, I, 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 he was a physicist in the, in, in the 50s and 60s uh, who brought new perspective to a problem that had vexed a lot of the great minds of of, of like the early uh, 20th century, uh, and 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 it was the problem of uh, quantum entanglement, uh, and basically this was uh, it 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 was the a problem that, that was the root cause of the reason that Albert Einstein did not like quantum mechanics. Uh, and the question was essentially like, was it po- is it possible? So, so quantum mechanics is a statistical theory, which means that when you measure something, you can never know what the exact answer is. Uh, and so, like, uh, uh, so is it possible to build a quantum theory where you could know what the exact answer is? Like, essentially, is the issue just that we haven't measured everything there is to measure? And that's why it's a statistical theory. But if you had all the data, every measurement would would be fully uh, de- would be fully deterministic. I see. Um, and so that that type of theory is, is is called a hidden variable theory, where there's just data that's hidden from you. Mm-hmm. And if you had it, you could you everything would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was basically this question about whether you could have hidden variable theories that that were also that were also local. So where like information didn't propagate at like infinite speeds, uh, and this was a big argument between Einstein and Bohr, 
that like Einstein just felt that quantum mechanics was uh, like w was just incomplete because it could not be that physics like w was statistical at its core, and Bohr felt the opposite. And for 30 years, everyone thought that this was a philosophical argument. And then John Bell came around and thought through, like basically, uh, like sat down and published a very simple thought experiment, uh, essentially saying, I know how to measure this. Um, and, uh, and so he just, he took this problem that everyone thought was philosophical and made it practical. Yeah. And essentially said, like, nope, this is not a philosophical problem. There are real-world implications to this, and I know how to make this measurement. Published that paper, and in the 1980s, someone actually did it. Amazing. Uh, and Bohr was, was shown to be, to be correct. <laughs> um, and so, you know, but basically to me, like, that's the kind of person that I want to be, the person who can bring that level of, you know, of kind of creative thought uh, and a person who can like look at a problem from multiple angles and essentially say, well, everyone thinks this way, but like, but like you run this through to its logical conclusion, you get somewhere else. Right. That's very cool. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? So what would you say to like the 20 year old or maybe 25 year old in Blumenfeld? Um, spend less time in school. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I loved my uh, uh, my m my uh, my time in graduate school, um, uh, but I definitely like there are times when I'm like, oh, I wish I would have gotten a start on my career a couple of years earlier. Yeah. Um, and then you know, and then the other piece would just be like, all right, well, if you're gonna spend that time, like take full advantage of it, like learn as much as you can, mm -hmm. you know, maybe surf a little more, Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, I think like, uh, those are, those are kind of the, uh, the, like, the, like the, uh, the primary things. But I think like the pedagogy thing is the big one. Like most education just does not happen these days within the walls of a, right. you know, of a high school or a university. Uh, like it happens out there, out there in the world. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Who else should I interview? Who else should you interview? Yeah. Um, well, that's putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, so jo Josh Wills is great. Okay. I think he would. Uh, we would. You'd have a good time with him. Awesome. Um, Josh is amazing. We've been on a few emails together, and yeah. I, I haven't gotten a chance to meet him in person yet. But. Yeah, so he would, uh, you would, you'd, you'd get some good stuff out of him. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 I think my uh, my counterpart at Clover, um, mm -hmm. Otis Anderson, you'd have a good time with him too. Awesome, I'd love to interview him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's great with the pith, <laughs> like much, much, much better than I am. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I can get back to you with, uh, with a few other names. Too. Okay. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so where should the audience, uh, follow you online or how should they, um, get in touch with you, um, after this podcast or should they check out anything on, uh, on your blog or on Clover Health's website? What, what would you like to, uh, let the audience know about? Um, yeah, definitely check out Clover Health's website. We are hiring. Okay. <laughs> we will be hiring for a while. Um, so, uh, yeah, for sure go there. 
Uh, yeah, you can you can find me on 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 Twitter and on Medium. I'm relatively easy to find. I'm not the most active Twitter person, but on Medium I do more stuff. I'll be sure to put URLs um, to your website, to yeah. your Twitter, and to your Medium um, account. Yeah. On uh, in the follow up. Okay. Yeah. Any anything else? That's it. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Great. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you.